we have to understand that there are certain power dynamics at play. There is a hierarchy of inclusion in society. And I think you need to know where you are on it. Because when you know where you are on it, one, you know who else you need to be uh, advocating on their behalf. And also, you know how you have benefited from some of the inequities that exist in society. When we accept it's not a level playing field, then we know where we are in the conversation. So if you are in a more dominant group, then your position is to listen to begin with, because in that listening mode is what allows there to be trust. And that's when you can ask the questions that you're not sure about. Then it becomes a dialogue that is about sharing each other's lived experiences and understanding each other's lived experiences, but from a place of shared humanity as well. Hello, and welcome to the new series of Realising Your Potential. In this very special series, I have the pleasure of speaking to inspiring women about their leadership journeys. From politicians to project managers, executive coaches to presenters, these women have done some incredible things and make for fascinating conversations. We discuss the challenges they've faced, the lessons they've learned, and explore what organisations can do to drive greater gender equality. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about, sharing perspectives and ways of thinking that educate, empower, and celebrate. So join me as we dive into some great conversations with amazing people from all walks of life. I can't wait to see what we discover together. The final episode of this series is a special one. I'm so excited to be interviewing June Sapong, OBE, June has had an amazing career, from being one of the most recognisable faces of British television to being a leading voice on diversity and inclusion, having written the award-winning books Diversify, The Power of Women and The Power of Privilege, with a fourth book expected summer 2022 titled The Only One in the Room. Not only that, June's hosted some historical events such as Nelson Mandela's 90th birthday, interviewed some of the world's biggest names and worked extensively with His Royal Highness Prince Charles as an ambassador for the Prince's Trust. In this episode, we cover everything from June's favourite affirmation to the pivotal moments that inspired her to write Diversify, as well as tons of practical advice on how to have better conversations about diversity and inclusion. It was such a great conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. June Saprong, thank you so much. Welcome to Accolade Wines. We are super delighted to have you help us launch our new diversity and inclusion strategy, but also to help us start the conversation on what is a really important topic. So really excited to chat with you and gain some of your experiences. So June, I think let's get into it. What do you think? Why not? Let's do that. Fantastic. I know you'd like to begin um, your days with some meditation, but also a positive quote of affirmation. Do you have a favourite you can share with us to kick things off? Yes, I do. There's a lovely one that Maya Angelou says, which sometimes, you know, with affirmations, we think about what we're saying to ourselves, which, of course, we must say positive things. But I do think it's also important to think about how we make others feel and the way we show up in the world, you know, particularly in the workplace, the way you behave can make or break somebody's day and can impact the way they are with their own families and so on. So 
I love the Maya Angelou quote. What she says is, people will not remember what you said. They will not remember how you said it, but they will remember how you made them feel. Mm. So I like to start my day with the view of how am I going to show up in the world so that hopefully, and you know, we're not perfect, so we don't always get it right, but hopefully most people who encounter me are left with a positive feeling. And so I just like the idea of that. That's great. That's great advice. You've also written a number of award-winning books such as Diversify, which you describe as a toolkit for having the conversation we need to have about race, gender, class, disability, the list goes on. What made you want to write Diversify? Was there a pivotal moment or was it a lifelong ambition? Definitely not a lifelong ambition. It was a pivotal moment. And and you know what? It's funny because particularly now where these conversations are coming to a head much more and we are navigating what is deemed acceptable to say and what isn't. And it's, you know, it's quite difficult and frightening sometimes, even if your intentions are good. So I think the book is probably even more pertinent now than even when I wrote it five years ago or whatever. So basically what happened was I, like most British television talent, uh, wanted to figure out how to make it in America. And so I moved to the States and I was filming one day and a young man appeared on set who had tattoos and I sort of made up in my head all of these assumptions about who I thought he was. And it was the weirdest thing, you know, I am a black woman, I am a working class woman, I'm the daughter of immigrants. And so I had always looked at discrimination as being on the receiving end as opposed to doing it myself. And it was so strange, this young man was on set and I felt really uncomfortable around him and awkward around him and he could sense my discomfort and therefore was going out of his way to seem non-threatening and amenable. And in that moment, I was able to really understand this issue from the other side. I thought, oh my goodness, that's what happens when you meet someone that you perceive as different to yourself and the disconnect sets in and the wall goes up. And so I decided I wanted to have a conversation with him. And so I did, and I just left that conversation changed. One, understanding this issue from both sides, but two, the, the problem with discrimination is not only is it completely unjust to those that we discriminate against, but it's also such a waste and loss for society because who knows, it might be this talent that has mm. the solutions to whatever problems we're trying to fix. Mm. And I just thought, wow, you know, he was so excited about the idea of a career in sound in television and our sound man had taken him on as an apprentice and I thought my goodness and god our sound man was one a lot more open-minded than me but two if I was feeling this way about this young man it was going to be really hard for him to succeed in our industry because even if I was a bit uncomfortable around him and that is what made me want to uh, write, diversify and start these conversations and this was pre me too pre George Floyd So when I first started having the conversations, the funny thing was, it was much more around the why Diversify was good for business. Post me to George Floyd, the conversation is now the how. Companies and and organizations and institutions are realizing they have to do something about this. So 
you know, what a price to pay, but I'm glad at least that we are now understanding that this is a business imperative as well as a moral imperative. How do we get better at having these conversations? Well, what I would say is we have to understand that there are certain power dynamics at play. And it's important to know that there is a hierarchy of inclusion in society. And I think you need to know where you are on it. Because when you know where you are on it, one, you know who else you need to be uh, advocating on their behalf. And also, you know how you have benefited from some of the inequities that exist in society. We know that when it comes to race, there's an elevated characteristic of being white. If you are white in the Western world, there's a certain amount of privilege that comes with just being white. White in the Western world, you'll be discriminated against for many things. Highly unlikely you're gonna be discriminated against because of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. If you are non-disabled in an ableist world, which is, I would say, most of the world, there are privileges from being born non-disabled. And we have to accept that. If you are male, actually anywhere in the world, there are privileges that come from being born male. And so I think that these are the things that we ha have to acknowledge. And when we accept those issues and we accept that it's not a level playing field, then we know where we are in the conversation. So if you are in a more dominant group, then your position is to listen to begin with. Because in that listening mode is what allows there to be trust. And in that position where the trust has been built, that's when you can ask the questions that you're not sure about. That's when you can say, I'm not sure. Is it appropriate to say this? How do I approach such and such? What would make you feel more comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. And then it becomes a dialogue that is about sharing each other's lived experiences and understanding each other's lived experiences, but from a place of shared humanity as well. Mm. But acknowledging it is not a level playing field. And the minute we try to pretend it is, that's when we're not going to be able to solve these problems. Mm. And it's hard, you know, I, I had a pivotal moment as well. I, I come from white privilege and abled bodied and I think I found it sometimes very hard to relate to people who had suffered discrimination on the basis of sex race disability okay. and I had an opportunity in 2009 to go and live and work in Ghana and it was That's actually the from yes yes there you go I spent a year there but June it was the first the time face isn't it the best it is the best place, but it's the first time that I was discriminated on the basis that I was white, on the basis I was a female, and on the basis as I was an expat. And that's when I really started to realise what it was like to actually experience these things about what people go through. And even if I may add to that, even in that kind of discrimination, still it's not the same because there's still a power dynamic at play. Mm. Chances are you had more economic power. Whereas when you are in the West, often people from ethnic backgrounds also come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds because of the historical issues. So, so there's 
no power as well as all of the other stuff on top of it. But at least you were able to try it on for size. And it's so funny, Angie, because there's this thing that I do with a lot of senior executives where I do precisely that. I put them in an environment where they are the minority because often they've never experienced that where they are the only one like them in the room. And if you're looking at underrepresented talent within your workforce, often the case will be they are the only one in the room. So for you to even try that on for a year when you were there or even try it on for a few hours if you're an exec, at least gives you some kind of understanding of what that feeling is, even if it isn't to the full degree of the person that experiences it every day. That's right, that's right. How do you suggest we start having the conversation if we want to understand more or if you have a question that could be perceived as insensitive? Well, the thing is, this is a real issue, particularly while you know we're living in an era of council culture. And while we are trying to figure out how to have these conversations, because don't forget, for so long, we have avoided them. So we don't even really know how to have the conversation, which means there is a heightened sensitivity for those that perhaps have been on the receiving end of much of this unfairness in society. And then for, for, for those that perhaps come from more dominant groups, for the first time actually wanting to understand what that is. So there's a strange place we're at at the moment where we're navigating how to have the conversation. You can get in trouble for saying the wrong thing. Let's not pretend you can't. So I often say to people, be in a listening mode to begin with. Listen and just let them share and then before you ask the question, I would preface it with, I'm not sure. And what I would also say to anybody who is not from a group where maybe there is a word that is often used as a racial slur to describe the group, just don't use the word. It's not worth it. Use the letter to describe the word. Just don't say the word because you never know how certain people respond to certain words that may be triggering. So that is my advice on that front. Great advice. We're here because for one reason is that we launched our diversity and inclusion strategy. How would you define a diverse and inclusive workforce? The thing that I would say is particularly for a business like yours, which is a global business in different territories and even in different parts of one country too. The culture of your head office, where your head office is located, is going to be very different to the culture of where your vineyards are located. And then the countries that you sell to, the norms are very different. So I think the first thing is to understand what diversity and inclusion means in your territory and what is actually possible in your territory. And then the second piece is, which is often overlooked, is the equity piece. If we don't add in the equity piece, we won't really get inclusion. We might get diversity, which is numbers, but belonging and, and the sense of value that people who perhaps don't fit the norm can feel will be missing. And therefore you then have retention issues. And so I would say that in terms of a, a diverse, equitable and inclusive workforce, the first thing is, is the makeup of your workforce homogenous in an area where it could not be? 
So it may be that you are in an area just in terms of demography that is ethnically homogenous, in, but there's no reason for socioeconomic diversity not to exist within your workforce. There's no reason for there not to be a adequate representation of those with disabilities, LGBTQ+, et cetera, et cetera. So there's other ways in which looking at all the various underrepresented groups, who is available within your demographic and within your location, and are you casting the net wide enough to be able to get the most diverse pool of all of the groups that could be within the workforce? And then in other territories where there are, you can have even more diversity, are you doing that? And we know that the nature of your business, and I'm generalizing here in terms of drinking wine is a very aspirational thing. It's quite a middle-class thing to do. And so I think that there's some really great work that you can do in terms of reaching out to lower income communities that also brings in a different customer base as, to, as well. There's actually a growth opportunity there. So having a diverse workforce with very different lived experiences will also broaden the type of customer that you even consider trying to um, capture. Mm. What are some of the best conversations you've had about DNI? Yes, well, I think in terms of some of the best conversations, they happen all the time. I'm really lucky. I see it as a real privilege to be at the coalface of a lot of these conversations. And I think that we have to use even the toughest conversations often as a teachable moment. But we also have to understand that the world is in transition on these issues and different generations. And, and that's not in any way condoning certain sort of limiting viewpoints but certain generations come at these things differently just because of what was acceptable in their day um and i do think we have to have a level of compassion for that we don't necessarily have to condone it and let people off the hook of course not but we do have to have a level of compassion and understand that not everybody is going to be able to change at the same pace also the other thing that I think is important is when you are in a country, perhaps, who still is on the worst end of some of the unfair systems of the past that are still playing out in the present, then actually, as an organization, what is your role in, in improving that? And how are you actively saying, you know what, there are still big communities here in this country who have not been able to equally participate in all that this country has to offer. Mm -hmm. And as a business, we are going to reach out to some of the next generation in those communities. And you do that, you change the trajectory of a family, even if it's a small community. And I don't mean just sort of outreach programs. I mean, proper access to opportunity and progress and investment in talent because sometimes all you need is one or two to really make a big difference mm -hmm. and, and to show what's possible. So mm -hmm. have an actual program specifically aimed at that mm -hmm. and then encourage other businesses because you know, you're a part of a sector, encourage your whole sector to also be doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
This is a question that plays on my mind quite a lot. You know, I think once you reach a certain point in your career, particularly as you said, you know, I'm white, middle class, there becomes a kind of respect with the role that you play. It's easy to forget sometimes what it was like to be a working mum or what it was like to be a female early in her career. But outside of the big bang of the strategy and the programs or when you kind of move up the career ladder, what can we do day to day to create an environment where everyone just feels welcome and included? Yeah, well, I think the best way to do it is who has the lowest status within your organisation? How do they feel about your organisation? And often people with those roles tend to come from, I'm generalising, tend to come from low-income backgrounds, whether that's generations of low-income backgrounds or immigrant backgrounds. And so even if they don't feel that success in the traditional sense, because, you know, they may feel very successful in other ways, but I'm just using the way society values success. Even if they don't feel that success in the traditional sense is necessarily possible for them, maybe they may feel that their moment has passed. Do they believe that success is possible for their children or the children in their community in your organization? So would they say to their kids that they should come and work for Accolade Wines? And if the answer is no, that requires exploration. If the answer is yes, you need to ask why they haven't done it if they haven't done it. And I think that tells you Because if there's something about the way they are made to feel in the organization, that they would believe that the thing that is most precious to them could thrive within your organization, then you're doing something right. What are some of the simple ways to encourage a safe forum of discussion with your team to ensure they feel confident asking the question or discussing diversity? Yeah. How do you create that environment? Yes, well, I think the best way to do it is to, is to paint the picture of what it is you're trying to create and why this conversation is necessary. So, i.e., we want to be not just the best now of what we do and we understand that the world is changing and perhaps we've been able to be successful doing things a certain way up until now. But in order to future-proof this business, we've got to get this right. And I think that we then also say, perhaps as a leader, I have had blind spots and I really would love to be able to create an environment where anybody, whoever they are, regardless of what their experience is outside of this office, and they come into this office, they feel that they belong. Mm -hmm. And I can't do that on my own. I need to do that with you all as a team. What are the things that you feel need to be looked at in order for us to get there? Mm -hmm. Because that opens up the conversation around the vision. And I think when you have an idea of the vision, as opposed to, oh, we just need to be more inclusive, then people will feel the, the authenticity and the genuineness of that vision to then want to share. 
I, I personally believe in the concept of love over hate. And I suppose, you know, you mentioned George Floyd and the terrible things that happened to him, but there is a lot of anger. How do we work through that anger and get to a better place? Well, again, I always like to sort of take things to a micro level. I think the thing that we mustn't forget that love is a verb. And so it has to be backed with action. And the only way you can truly feel love is by the way somebody behaves and what they do. So if that love is not steeped in action, if that love is not steeped in doing things differently, it doesn't mean anything. So I would say that the reason why there is this anger and there is this frustration and there is this resentment is because of the lack of action. But I do believe that if we can get this stuff right at work, because most of us spend the majority of our day in the workplace and actually spend more time with our colleagues and even our loved ones and our families, so if we can figure out this stuff in the workplace, I believe without question, that will impact the way that we are in our social lives. And for sure, that will impact what we demand from our policymakers. Mm. So work has a really important role to play on this stuff. When you look at the historical injustices that have taken place, just think, that was your family member. Would you want that to happen to them? Would you want that to happen to your children? Would you want that to happen to the people that you care about? And of course, the answer is no. And if that did happen to your children or the people that you cared about, you would want to know that there was some level of atonement for that. And, and that actually, perhaps whoever had perpetrated it was looking for some form of redemption because until that happens you don't really you're not coming from a place of a clean not even a clean slate it's sometimes it's acknowledgement things have happened and you can't change what's happened but that acknowledgement goes a long way to be able to create something new and I think that's about understanding that we are all human beings and we just want to create a world where our children have a better chance at life than we did. Mm. Everybody wants the same thing. Mm. And not everybody's been given that. Yes. And I think we can do something to try and address that. Why wouldn't we? It's a beautiful way to articulate it. It really is. Yeah. Do you recommend any podcasts so people who are not confident about talking about this topic as a group can listen and learn and may get more comfortable well first of all of course you must read all of my books and then i would also recommend anything by david Olasoga. he really explains this stuff so well does it in such an inclusive way that everybody understands their role in creating change so anything by him i think that in terms of gender i would go back to reading the original second wave feminist text but also first wave feminism. And actually, I think where we're getting to now is almost a combination of both. And so I think, particularly for men who might feel a bit uncomfortable with this stuff, yeah, read some of those books. You'll be surprised. There might be things you sort of take away. You might not agree with all of it. But if you have daughters, for sure, you want as much 
opportunity for your daughters as for anybody. Mm. And so I think going back and sometimes reading books from the past also helps to inform what we do for the present and the future. Mm. June, thank you so much. Oh, Ange, what a pleasure. I so enjoyed our conversation. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. I feel so honoured to be able to have you launch our diversity and inclusion strategy. I've learned so much. Great conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ange. It's been a pleasure and an honour speaking to you and congratulations in launching the strategy. And also, don't forget, you're leading the way. You know, this is relatively new to the country. So to have a, a company of your size that's really sort of deciding to focus and take the lead and take the initiative on this stuff, you will sort of create a blueprint for many other businesses in the country. So congratulations. Thank you. Wow, what can I say? It was such an honour to speak with June. She is a wonderful soul and has so much wisdom to share on what is one of the most important topics of our time. There are many things I'm taking away from this conversation, but I think the one that really struck a chord with me was that if we are to have any meaningful dialogue about diversity and inclusion, then we must first acknowledge and accept there are inequities in society. Only then can we truly listen and understand each other's lived experiences. But I'd love to know, what did you take away? You can respond by leaving a review or if you're listening on Spotify, you can answer via the Q&A section in the app. If you found this conversation to be as helpful and inspiring as I did, please remember to share it with friends and colleagues. You just never know who else it might positively impact. That's it for this very special Women in Leadership series. A big thank you to my guests for having the courage to share their own stories and to you for listening. As always, links and resources can be found in the show notes. Until next time, take care.